wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the land of the Lord, hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Today we do begin a new series. We're looking at the book of Ruth. And we just heard read for us chapter 1. We are starting, as I uh, mentioned earlier, our Advent series one week early. The official start of the Advent season is next week. So why start early? Well, I was thinking and I was praying about what we should look at this Advent, and I was, I was drawn to Ruth. I was drawn to this, this story. And to really get the most out of the book of Ruth, we're going to need at least five weeks. We're going to need one week in each of the four chapters in the book of Ruth, as well as one, one message on the only other place where Ruth's name is mentioned in the Bible, which is in the genealogy 
of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So you may be wondering, though, it's, it's Christmas season. Advent is a preparation for Christmas. It's um, getting us ready for the celebration of Christmas. How, then, is Ruth related to Christmas? How is Ruth uh, in any way connected to Advent and the birth and the coming of Jesus? Well, the more that I've been reading and studying the book of Ruth, the more that I've seen how connected, how closely connected this story is to the story of Christmas and the coming of Jesus. I'm going to ask two things. It is a family service um, Sunday, so I have a quick kids quiz. If you were paying attention when chapter one was read, or you might need to get your Bible out or look at it in your bulletin, I'm going to ask you two questions. One is, uh, where where did Ruth and Naomi end up in chapter 1? Where did they start? Where did, where did Naomi start? Where is she from? And where did she go back to? Which city? Who's got it? Back in the back. They went to Moab. And where did they start? And where did they return? Who's got it? Bethlehem, that's right. Okay, you got it? You can underline it there in the story. It began in Bethlehem, and chapter 1 ends in Bethlehem. And if you have your Bible open and you turn to the very end of the book of Ruth in chapter 4, what you'll find there is a genealogy. And what you'll find there is a genealogy that tells us why was this story about a woman, Naomi, And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, why was this story recorded? Why is it remembered? Why is it in the Bible? The answer is there in the genealogy. It's because Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. One of the greatest figures in the history of Israel. So how is Ruth an Advent story? Well, let me just say this as a preview. We'll come back to this time and time again. But Ruth, as we look at its place in Scripture, is the story of how God raised up a king, that king was David, to lead his people back to him through a miraculous birth by the most unlikely of mothers in the city of Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar to you? There's so many themes of Christmas, of incarnation, of our need for this king to come, of Advent woven into Ruth. This morning, we're going to look at chapter 1 in this story. And chapter 1 is all about how God fills the empty. There's a little adjustment. If you're taking notes, kids and adults, on my outline, you'll see I filled in some things and, and adjusted some things. The title is How God Fills the empty. He meets them by filling them. In 121 there, if you look at verse 21, Naomi says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. We'll see. In one respect, that is true. But in another respect, we'll see even when Naomi thought that she was completely empty, God had already begun a work of filling her with true hope. I'm not sure this was Thanksgiving week, um, and I don't know how big your meal was, and I don't know if you have a strategy for your Thanksgiving meal when you time it out and everything, but if you're going to have a big Thanksgiving meal, in my opinion, you should have a a strategy about how you want to go about eating that meal. And mine's fairly simple. You wake up, you eat a small breakfast. Don't starve yourself. You eat a small breakfast, 
and you just wait. You don't eat, you don't sample, you don't snack. That's the way I do it. You just wait until you have this huge feast set before you. And then you just stuff yourself. (laughs) And you just get so full, you eat as much as you possibly can. That's my strategy. Well, this morning, I want you to think, okay, not about your stomach. Just wait on the pie. That's later. I want you to think about your soul. I want you to think about your heart, your soul. There are times in our lives when we feel full, where our soul is full of joy and life, and it's, it's life as it should be. And there are other times in our lives when we feel empty, There are days when we feel full, and there are days when we feel empty, and sometimes they can be um, in the same day or back-to-back days. This time, as we're jumping into the story, we're jumping into a time in the history of Israel and in the Old Testament that is described in the words of verse 1. Look at verse 1 with me. In the days when the judges ruled, and we'll pause right there. During the time of the judges. Judges is right before the book of Ruth. The time of the judges was a time of spiritual and moral chaos. It's one of the darkest times in scripture. If you were to draw out a diagram of the book of Judges, it would be like this. Kids, you can do this with me if you want. This is a spiral down and away. Judges says the people of Israel, they were, they were brought into the land, but instead of drawing near to God, they spiraled further and further away from him. By the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, if you read it, and I would say caution if you read it, it is an ugly story. It's a story of violence and abuse, and it's there, and it's meant to shock us and tell us this was a dark time. This was a very empty time, spiritually empty And it was into this time that the book of Ruth was written. If you continue in verse 1, not only does it say during the time of the judges, it says during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. Now, famine is a time of great insecurity and scarcity. Of course, in this time, if you lived in Bethlehem, there wasn't just a Ralph's or a Trader Joe's down the corner where you could say, oh, we don't have any food. Let's go to Ralph's and get some bread. They had no food. And so their stomachs were empty. In Scripture, a famine is not always, but often and can be, and probably here because of the context, a famine is God's way of getting people's attention. It's God's way of saying there is an emptiness of the stomach, but there is a greater emptiness of the soul happening. And that's what was happening here as we come to the story of the book of Ruth. I'm going to look at three ways in chapter one how God fills the empty. First, he draws the drifting. Secondly, he meets the hurting. And third, he welcomes the returning. First, the drifting. If you look at verses one through five, we'll focus there first. How does God draw the drifting? Ruth is a story about this one family that drifted away, far, far away from God. Look at the rest of verse 1. It says, the time in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. So, 
One quick note, uh, the word Bethlehem, the, the name Bethlehem actually means the house of bread, but in the house of bread there was no bread. So in Judah, in Bethlehem, there was a man. He had two sons. They had to figure out, what are we going to do? There's no bread in the house of bread. So they left to sojourn in the territory of Moab. They left their home. And on the surface, you can't blame them for leaving. There was a famine. They had to eat. But in the Old Testament, the land was the place of God's blessing. It was the place of his presence, of his people, of his provision. To wander away from the land was to wander away from God and to leave him behind. And notice, they didn't just drift anywhere. They didn't just go next door to another territory in Israel. They went to a place called Moab. Why does that matter? Let's pull up the map. There is history here. There's Moab. It's right there on the other side of the Dead Sea uh, from Judah and from Bethlehem. And there's history between Israel and Moab. When Israel was coming into the land, Moab tried to prevent them from making that journey. Not only did they try to prevent them from making that journey, and they didn't help them, they actually tried to tempt them away from the worship of their God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, into worshiping the God's of Moab. So this is a country, this is a people, they were at odds with them and they had acted, actively tried to undermine their faith multiple times. So when you hear about the land of Moab, it's a land that is devoid of spiritual truth. It's an empty place spiritually. Now look, not only where, not only where they went, that's not the only thing being emphasized, the way that they're drifting is being described is very significant. What we see here is a very gradual and subtle drift away. First, it says they went to sojourn for a while. They said, we'll just stay here until the famine is done. Then we'll go right back to Bethlehem. But it ended up turning into a permanent stay. They went to sojourn or a short stay in verse 1. They ended up settling there, verse 2. And ultimately, they ended up living there. Verse 4 says, for 10 years. Quick point of application here. Speaking to my Christian friends. Here is a picture of spiritual drift in this family. And what it shows us is that spiritual drift is almost always gradual and subtle. Spiritual drift is almost always gradual and and subtle. Sometimes we drift away from God in a decisive moment. There's a turning point, but more often it is gradual and subtle. Things happen, life continues, and before we know it, 10 years go by, and we're left wondering, how did I get this far away from God? What happened? There are many reasons for the drift, many reasons here in this story. There are doubts that we have. And there was reason for doubt here. They were wondering, where's God? Why is there a famine? There is disappointment. And there is plenty of reason for disappointment here in this family. And there was desperation as well. And there was reason for this family to be very desperate. And in my experience, in speaking to people and having conversations with people who have drifted from God, I've seen how doubts, how disappointment with God, how desperation where it seems like God is absent, where it seems like God is silent, and that the church isn't open to our questions, that the church isn't responsive to us, that these moments 
are hard. And they can cause us to step away ever so subtly and gradually away from God, away from church, away from his people. But the book of Ruth cautions us and tells us, instead of your doubts leading you to step away, instead of your disappointment leading you to back away, press in, stay. God can meet you in your doubts, in your disappointment. God can meet you in your desperation. We'll talk about that further as we go on. But the book of Ruth says, don't deny these things. Bring it all. God will meet you. Spiritual drift is almost always gradual and subtle, but secondly, we see something else about spiritual drift. It's often revealed. We see how far we've drifted in times of emptiness in our lives. Sometimes we don't know how far we've come until we hit a point of emptiness. Verses 2 through 5 spends a lot of time on names. And names in the Bible, names in this story are very significant. Elimelech, maybe you have a note in your Bible, it means my God is king. But that's very ironic because the man who said my God is king, instead of trusting in God's control and his provision, he said we have to leave this land and I have to take things in my own hands. And he led his family away. Malon, one of the sons, means weak, and Kilion means frail. Weak and frail. This is why you never hear of anyone naming their sons Malon or Kilion. And Naomi's name, though, means pleasant. But by the time we get to verse 5, all the names are gone. Elimelech has died, Malon and Kilion have died. And in verse 5 it says, So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And scholars say that's very significant, that instead of calling her Naomi at that point in verse 5, she's just called the woman. It's like she's lost her own name. Emptied of her husbands, of her sons, emptied of her own name in a patriarchal world like it was at this time, to be a a widow, especially to be a group of three widows, they had no protection. They were the most vulnerable. They had no hope of a future. And so in verse 20, this is why she wants to change her name. She says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter because I'm empty. At this point is where Naomi can ask the question, where she's confronted with with a question, and that is, where have I been looking to fill my emptiness? We went to Moab. It didn't work out. My husband, he led us astray. He's no longer here. I have no sons. I have no grandsons. And her daughter-in-laws were both barren for maybe around 10 years each. Now all the men were dead. Naomi represents someone who's been completely emptied in life. And here is where she begins to realize how far she's drifted away from God. An illustration. You know how um, when you go shopping and you go on an empty stomach, 
If you go to Trader Joe's on an empty stomach, it's very, very dangerous. And when I do that, I end up buying everything. I'm like, I need that. I want that. And I want to eat it all. And I end up spending like $120. And I get home. And I'm like, what have I done? I've spent way too much money. And we didn't need any of this food. But if you go to the store and you're full and you're fine, usually you end up just sticking uh, to your list. Here Naomi was empty again. Literally and spiritually, it was like God had taken everything off the shelf for her. She had only one place to go, and that was back to him. The first time, she and her family went after whatever they thought would fill them up the fastest and the easiest. They said, let's go find it. Let's go to Moab. That'll help us out. That'll be the plan. Let's find wives for our sons, and it didn't work out. Emptiness. This place where Naomi was, where Ruth was, it was very scary. Times when we come to a place of emptiness where it feels like there's nothing on the shelf, those times are very scary for us as well. But that's often where God, he can and he will meet us the most powerfully. Where we step back and we're able to ask, what am I really hungry for? It's here in verse 6, in her emptiness, that something happens for Naomi. She's open and she finally hears something. She's listening. She hears that God has visited his people. And she arises and she begins the journey home. This is not just the story of this family or of Israel. This is the story of everyone. We all drift. We all have drifted. Sometimes very far from God. And there's moments in our lives, especially when we sense the emptiness, where we can ask, where am I now? Where am I with God? Ruth shows us how God draws the drifting. God had never left Naomi, had never given up on her. In the darkest of times, in a part of a family that had almost or pretty much given up on God, left the people, they were immersed in a culture apart from God. God sent her word, I have visited Come home. God draws the drifting. Secondly, the way we see that God fills the empty is how he meets the hurting. As I said, in times of emptiness in our lives when we're feeling empty, on days when we feel like we have nothing left, that can be where God meets us. But that doesn't mean our emptiness doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt deeply. The suffering of this family is not spiritualized. It's not glossed over. It was a broken situation. And Ruth is a book that doesn't explain away or tone down the bitterness of our lives or the brokenness of life. It shows us how God meets the hurting, how God meets those who are bitter and broken because of life. First, we see that God hears the hurting. Naomi lost her husband. Naomi lost everything. She was hurting. She was hopeless, and she expressed it very rawly in the language of what we could call lament. In verse 13, look at verse 13 with me. She says, it's exceedingly bitter that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And again, in verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. When we see how Naomi is expressing herself and how she's talking about God, we're probably a little bit uncomfortable with that. Can I speak like that about God? Can I be that raw and honest when I'm feeling empty? And the answer, very clearly in the book of Ruth, is yes. 
There is something right. There is something healthy about her turn. It's in the right direction. Maybe Naomi hadn't prayed for 10 years, and this was just the beginning. If you look at her lament, in her lament, she acknowledged God exists. He's at work. He had brought me back, verse 21. She knew he was there. She knew he was almighty and powerful, but she doubted she wasn't sure whether he was good, whether he was loving, whether he was kind. How could God be kind? Naomi wondered. But by the end, this is a spoiler alert, we see Naomi is wrong. God's hand was not against her, but for her the entire time, from the beginning to the end of the story. In Moab, when she drifted so far, he gave her Ruth. We'll talk about Ruth in a moment. In Moab, when she had drifted so far, he brought her good news that the famine was over. How did that happen? How did Naomi get that news? And he brought her to Bethlehem, home. And by the end, we see he was writing her name into the history of David and eventually into the history of Jesus. She couldn't see that. Naomi couldn't see that in the moment that was so hard and so empty. But if she could have seen the whole story, then she would have known God hears her. He was kind. Even in the emptiness, even the hurt was a part of a good and a kind plan for her. All this time, God is bringing Naomi back to himself. He is at work in his plan to restore her. God knows what he is doing, but Naomi laments. And God hears. God listens. There's nothing in the book of Ruth that God says, Naomi, When you were lamenting, didn't you see what I was doing? How could you say that about me? He hears the lament. And in his compassion, he feels with us. God hears the hurting. But this is, to me, one of the most amazing parts of chapter 1 in the whole book of Ruth. God not only hears the hurting, God uses the hurting. I never saw this before until this week. It's amazing how God used Naomi, even when she was bitter. Even when she was barely holding on, in verse 7 and verse 8, look with me what happened. She set out to go home, and then how does the story go? She realizes they're on the way. She has her two uh, daughters-in-law with her, and she realizes this isn't home for Orpah. It's not Oprah. It's Orpah. You want to say Oprah every time you see it. It's not home for Orpah. It's not home for Ruth. So she stops, and she says to them, you need to go to your home. Return back to your home. And she blesses them to return. She asks God's covenant kindness to be with them that they might find rest, that they may find new husbands. Do you see what Naomi is doing here? She is releasing them. And in releasing them, she's giving up all hope of security, protection, and a future for herself. Do you see that? Naomi's only hope is that these daughters-in-law of hers would get married and provide her with a new home with protection and provision and security, but she says to them, go, be released. Out of her love for them and trust that God would care for them, she empties herself of her future, she says, go, even in her bitterness and brokenness, in this mix of belief and unbelief, God used her. How do we know God used her? Because it was Naomi's love. It was Naomi emptying herself that caused Ruth to say, you're telling me to go, I am not going to go. I am going to stay. Why else 
would Ruth stay? Look with me again at these are the most beautiful verses in the book of Ruth. Some of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. Verse 16. Naomi says, go. Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth pledges herself to Naomi till death do us part in this incredible statement of covenant friendship. Why would Ruth do that? What did she see? She saw the self-emptying love of her mother-in-law even though she was bitter and broken. And that is so encouraging to me that God can use someone with such weak and fragile faith. I'm a visual person. I like to see things visually depicted. And so I created this little Venn diagram. Can you see that? That's encouraging to me. On one side, there is unbelief. And on the other side, there is strong faith. But there's a middle zone where there's a mix of unbelief and belief. Where it's weak faith. And often we think, God can't use me unless I'm completely in the strong faith circle. But what we see here from Naomi is that God can use those of us who are in that middle circle where we say, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's how God used Naomi. He can use the hurting. God hears the hurting. He uses the hurting. He comforts the hurting. How did he comfort Naomi? There's more to come in the following chapters, but he gave Naomi exactly what she needed in chapter 1. He gave her Ruth. And Ruth is an incredible woman, one of the most incredible characters in all the Bible, Ruth. She weeps with Naomi, verse 14, and then she lays down her life for Naomi in this covenant bond of friendship. And we have to see what's happening here with Ruth. What Ruth is doing is not saying, I'm going to go with you, Naomi, because if I follow you, I might have a better prospect of a better life. In fact, it's just the opposite. When Ruth says, I'm going to go with you, Naomi, she's going to Israel, where she will not be welcomed as someone from Moab. Her prospects of finding a husband who will marry her are slim to none. So just as Naomi has offered herself and laid down her life for Ruth, so Ruth says, I am laying down my life for you. That's true friendship. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Ruth is doing here. Throughout the book of Ruth, we see how God works through people in our lives to comfort us. He sends us other people. So a few thoughts of application. When we are walking through times of bitterness and brokenness, we need friends. We can't do it alone. When we're feeling emptied, we don't know what to do, ask God for friends, to send friends to you and ask for their help. When others are walking through times of bitterness and brokenness, we need to be friends. The friendship of Ruth changed the history of Israel. The moment she declared her friendship to Naomi was what eventually resulted in an end to this period of the judges with the birth of her great-grandson, David. She never even knew it. 
To her, it was just a pledge of friendship, and it changed the history and the course of a whole nation. And so, for us, let us not underestimate the power of the simple kindness of friendship. Often, that's how God comforts us. God draws the drifting God meets the hurting, and finally, God welcomes the returning. Ruth is a story for those who are drifting, for those who feel far from God. Ruth is a story for those who are hurting, but ultimately, Ruth is a story of return. The word return or turn is the most repeated and important word in this chapter. It's mentioned at least eight times. Some scholars say 11 times. From verse 6, We see the return begins from the country of Moab. And then in verse 22, we see the return complete as Naomi and Ruth and their return in Bethlehem. Okay, I have to keep my streak going. Kids, every time we have a family service, I've taught you a new word. Here is your Hebrew word. It's either Greek or Hebrew. This time it's going to be Hebrew. We're in the book of Ruth. And that word is shub. Everybody say shub. That's a very important word. Throughout the Old Testament, shub, it means to turn. It means to return. Ruth is a story. Ruth is a lesson about repentance, about turning. And the turning point in the whole chapter, in chapter 1, is when Naomi, she heard the Lord had visited his people. She was out in the fields of Moab, and she heard God's doing something. And she arose and returned. Like the prodigal son who was far off, who came to his senses, he arose to return home. Our understanding of Christianity, of God, of the gospel, and our Christian lives, in many ways depends on our understanding and our experience of repentance. Of what does it mean to return? What is my experience when God calls me to turn or to repent. This has been, continues to be so key in my own life and in my own story. Is repentance a time where we beat ourselves up, a time of failure? Is is repentance something we grow out of as we grow in the Christian life? Or is repentance a time of celebration, a time of joy, a time of return and welcoming, something we keep growing into in the Christian life? Naomi and Ruth, their story shows us how God treats us when we return. When we return from drifting, when we return weak and with fragile faith, how does God welcome us? Look at Naomi in verse 20 and 21. How did she return? She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi comes back blaming God. She comes back hurting. She thought this return return was about her being punished, about her being judged, about God testifying against her. She thought repentance was about her failure, for her to sit in the bitterness of how far she had fallen short and drifted and failed 
in all of her emptiness. And she didn't see how God was welcoming her back. She doesn't even see Ruth. She says, I've come back empty. And Ruth is standing there going, what about me? She doesn't say anything about what was waiting for them when they returned. Do you see it in verse 22? When they returned, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The famine was over. God was filling his people. Naomi was so focused on herself, on her mistakes, on her pain, she returned in guilt and bearing her shame. She couldn't see the God who brought her back. How does God welcome her? How does God treat her? What we see in the story of Ruth, he says, not only is your name not Mara, your name is Naomi, but your name is going to be a part of the greatest, greatest lineage in all of Israel, the lineage of the king, King David, and ultimately of the Messiah to come, Jesus. How can we know that God always welcomes us back with joy when we return? Well, we see how God welcomed both Naomi and Ruth back how he turned the tide of this family. Ruth made it back, barely, because she was inspired by the self-emptying love of Naomi. Naomi made it back, clinging and holding on because of the self-emptying love of Ruth. Both these mothers, mothers in the lineage of Jesus, point us to the one who was to come from them, Jesus himself. Naomi says to Ruth, I will empty myself so you can be full. Ruth says to Naomi, I will empty myself so you can be full. And it changed them. God in Jesus, the message of Christmas is God saying to us, I will empty myself so you can be full. Jesus entered into our bitterness and brokenness. He emptied himself. He became like one whom God testified against. He took the calamity of judgment upon himself. And in Jesus, in Christmas, God says to us, I will empty myself so you can be full. Whenever you return, I will receive you with grace, with compassion, with welcome and joy and celebration. Because my son, he emptied himself. He took upon the judgment that we deserved. He took upon our sin. So all of our repentance, anytime we return, it's a time of welcome and grace and joy. And so in our repentance, we don't look at our failure, at our drifting, or our emptiness. We look away from ourself and our emptiness, and we look to his fullness. Let me close with this. Just one, one Advent application. This is a time of Advent's giving, and I want to give you all something to think about. As the book of Ruth, as chapter 1 tells us that God receives us back as his friends, even though we drift, even though we've gone far off, Jesus says, come back. I've emptied myself so I can fill you up. I want to come back to the application of friendship. And during the season of Advent, I want you to think about how in the book of Ruth, how two lives were turned, the entire tide of a nation was turned simply through two acts of friendship, the power of friendship. 
And while we're enjoying our, our pie, and if you're enjoying coffee with us afterward, we have some thank you notes, and we have some envelopes. And as God meets us with the fullness of Jesus in our emptiness, may we just consider there might be a friend who's struggling. There might be somebody here in our church family and in our church community whom you can fill with a simple note of thanks and encouragement. So just to put a capstone on, on Thanksgiving, to look ahead to Advent, in the, uh, in the room uh, afterward, we're going to have some notes, some thank you notes And I want to encourage you to take one of those, write it to somebody in your family, here in this church family, or somebody you know who's in need of a word of friendship. God is the one who fills us in our emptiness, and so may we be people who fill others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story, this incredible story of redemption and return in the book of Ruth. I pray right now, For all of us, if we feel like we're far, we're drifting, if we feel like we're empty, if we feel like we're hurting, I pray that this moment of listening to your word, of hearing you call us back to return, that we would hear your call to return as a call to return to grace, to receive in our emptiness the fullness of your son Jesus. Meet us. Meet the empty, fill us. Help the hurting with comfort. And may we not look to ourselves, but may we look to Jesus, the one who emptied himself so we might be full. We pray in his name. Amen.